This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Welcome to Out with Susie Ruffle. Here we are, series six, episode two, and I've got a fantastic conversation to share with you today. Before we begin, I would love to say thank you so much again to the people that came to the live recording of Stevie Bobby's episode last week, but also the amount of you that I've met on my tour. I can't begin to tell you how much joy it gives me when I get to have a little chat with you. Um, there were some gorgeous people in St. Austell last weekend who stuck around and had a photo with me which is very nice and uh just wanted to chat which was lovely it really means the world to me how much this podcast means to so many people and i know a lot of people feel the same about like-minded friends the podcast i do with tom so yeah i want to start off by saying thank you thank you for coming out and supporting my comedy as well um i love doing stand-up if you've seen the show you'll know how much i love doing stand-up and I love making this podcast and its listeners and people that buy tickets to the shows and people that download this podcast and share it with their friends or post about it on the internet, which means I can carry on making it because it means more people listen and then we get adverts. And then when we get adverts, it means that we can book studios and get guests and do live shows. So thank you. Thank you for that. I love doing this podcast. That's all. Okay. Um, I always sound really awkward when I do those thank yous, don't I? I don't know why I'm asking you like you can respond, but maybe respond in your own house or car, wherever you're listening now. We've got a fantastic conversation today with Jordan Gray, who is currently just having such an incredible time in the comedy world. She has so many interesting things to say. I loved chatting to her. She's just had an incredible Edinburgh Festival then was on Friday Night Live this weekend. By all accounts, she stole the show, which I can totally imagine. And sorry, you might have heard an email coming in then. Apologies. And uh, she's just about to do a show at the London Palladium. Incredible stuff. So I can't wait for you to listen to that conversation. I really, really hope you enjoy it. As always, I love you getting in touch with me. Please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. Uh, I've got a few emails to share before we begin today. Dear Susie, it's taken me too long to write to tell you how much I love the podcast, but better late than never. I discovered it from listening to Like-Minded Friends, another gem, and I can't tell you how important the work is you do for people like me figuring out how the hell they fit into this world. I'm 19 and I've recently gone off to uni, which despite my fears, I'm absolutely loving. Uni has been really important for me to explore my queer side, which has never really got much of a look in before now. I think I'm somewhere on the bi-pan spectrum and I only really admitted this to myself a few months back when I finished my A-levels and finally had some time to my own thoughts. Looking back, there were definitely signs. I was also suspiciously fond of Kate Winslet in Titanic. Uh, if you're interested, there is an episode with me and the fantastic writer Kayleigh Llewellyn, who's recently won another BAFTA. I mean, she's just incredible, where we talk at length about Kate Winslet in Titanic. Um, if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend it. I think it's a really special one. Sorry, back to the email. But to actually say it out loud was a whole different thing. Fortunately, I've been blessed with the most loving and accepting friends I could ask for. Almost all of whom, it turns out, are also queer. We do seem to find each other somehow, don't we? Another huge part of my identity is that I'm a Christian. Although my church is relatively liberal and very accepting of anyone and everyone, I think the more traditional Christian approach still forced its homophobic ways into my subconscious when I was younger, making it harder for me to accept who I am. Having said that, I truly believe that God made everyone perfectly and that your sexuality is something to be celebrated as a unique and beautiful part of you. And anyway, Jesus never stopped going on about love and acceptance, so nobody should feel judged by anybody for who they choose to love. 
Sorry for the preach. But what I really wanted to say is something that I'm really passionate about. My calling, you might say, is to create some sort of space for queer Christians to seek help, advice, fellowship, and just to know that other people like them exist and that it's okay for them to exist. I'm not sure how to go about it or even if it's possible, but I know that if I had something like that growing up or even now, I would be so much further along the road to reconciling my faith and sexuality. I also wanted to say that I really appreciate how, even though you're not religious yourself, you respect and encompass people of all faiths on this podcast. Too often the queer community and the Christian community appear to be at odds, but they don't have to be. I guess the next step for me is coming out to my parents, who are Christian, but I know will be completely fine with it. Why is it that even though I know they'll love me and accept me for who I am, I'm still terrified at the thought? I'm sure it will come in time. I just have to find the right time to do it. One last thing, you asked in your last episode with Stevie Bobby whether you should do any more live episodes in other locations. Please come to Manchester. I've been missing living so close to London with all of my favourite comedians just a short train ride away. Thank you endlessly again for your podcast and providing an outlet for mad rambling emails like mine. Much love. Is that weird? I feel like you're my friend even though we never met. Okay, that is weird. It's not weird, don't worry. Uh, If you do end up reading this out on the pod, please keep me anonymous, but I wouldn't say no to a funky pseudonym. Oh, uh, a funky pseudonym. Oh, Patio Doors. Why not Patio Doors? First of all, thank you so, so much for getting in touch. Um, I'm so pleased that this podcast has been help or a friend or whatever the podcast has been to you. I'm pleased it's been there for you. I I really try and encompass absolutely everyone on this podcast. And I'm pleased that that's been recognized by you. Also, you were saying about creating something i saw my friend joe lysett's show the other day which was phenomenal he's just recorded it um and it is just something so special and there's a point in it where he talks about a mutual friend of ours josie long who's a fantastic stand-up and she has these badges that say if you want something to exist sometimes you have to make it yourself i might have paraphrased that slightly but, but maybe that's what you need to do with creating that space for queer Christians. I'm sure there'll be lots more people that, that, that want to create something like that or have created something like that. But sometimes it's just, it's just starting it. That's sometimes what you've got to do. That's exactly what I did with this podcast. I wanted this podcast to exist, so I started making it. And I'm sure that you'll know what to do. I'm sure you'll work it out. And all the best with your journey and all the best with university. Oh my God. You make me feel old, you make me feel old, but excited for you. I hope that you have a wonderful time. Okay, let's have a couple of more short ones and then we'll get on with today's conversation. Hi Susie, just wanted to say that I'm loving the podcast. I came across it because of the episode with the wonderful Dame Kelly Holmes and have been working my way through ever since. It's been so great hearing everyone's story. Life is really good at the moment. Myself and my fiance are expecting our first child in November, a baby boy, and we cannot wait. But the anxiety is high with my hormones at the moment and your podcast has got me right in the feels when I needed it most. Thank you. And that's from Steph. Thank you, Steph. Oh, as you probably know, I've become a mum in the last couple of years and it's just the most wonderful thing I've ever done. And maybe if you're a similar age to me, you felt like me, like, oh, I didn't know this would ever be possible. I didn't know that I was going to be able to do this as a teenager. I didn't think this was going to be... I don't know, part of my life. I didn't know how we would do that. And now we've got her and it's the best thing ever. I send you and your fiance uh, so much love. And I'm so pleased this podcast has, uh, has got you right in the feels when you needed it. It's exactly what I try and do. You're on to me. Right, one more, and then we're going to get on with today's conversation. Hi, Susie, big fan of your stand-up and the podcast. This is a message from a mum. Oh, there's a go. We had one message from a mum to be, and now a message from a mum. My son is gay, and I feel this podcast has really helped me understand him and the challenges he may face. It's also given me so much hope for what his future will look like. I'm embarrassed to say that when he first came out, I was disappointed. Not because I care about who he loves, but because I thought he would have a harder life. Listening to your podcast has really changed that. It's just hope now. I know that he's part of a wonderful community. Thanks and love from a mum that would prefer to remain anonymous. Well, hasn't your boy got a lovely mum? Right, let's carry on, shall we? Today's conversation with the fantastic Jordan Gray. Oh, listener, I am very excited for today's chat. Now, some of you may know, some of you might not know, every year at the Edinburgh Festival, there are one, maybe two shows that break through in the most sensational way. Incredible reviews across the board, packed out rooms, extra shows. And if you're really lucky and if it's a really special show, it will also do something to shift 
The Conversation. And this year, that show was Jordan Gray's remarkable Is It a Bird? Jordan is a British actor, writer and comedian. She created and co-starred in the record-breaking and award-winning comedy series Transaction for Comedy Century. You might have also seen her on BBC, ITV, Sky and a very memorable run on The Voice UK. Jordan has suddenly become the UK's most exciting and most talked about rising star in comedy. In Jordan's stand-up show, her take on the world is unique but relatable as her experience as a trans woman navigating such a toxic world. It's powerful, shocking, funny and leaves you feeling altered. It's nothing short of an absolute triumph and I am delighted to be sharing an hour with her today. Hello, Jordan. What a wonderful introduction. Thank well, you so much. you say that. The people that are listening, well, that will have sounded very succinct but what Jordan really knows is because of the old, the old plague of dyslexia, I had to keep going but it meant I got to hear some of those compliments multiple times that's true wonderful thank you but it's true you've had this Edinburgh I mean you're probably sick of talking about it now but you had this Edinburgh that anyone that is in the performing world whether that be an actor or a writer or a comic that you can only really dream of where you go imagine if I was the show I, you, I got to be standing where the lightning bolt hits. Right. Very cool. Yeah, you, you dream of that for sure. The irony is when it's happening in real time, you just keep second guessing and oh, this must everything must be a fluke. Like getting nominated, you think, well, I must. if there's nine nominees, I think I must be the ninth one that's squeezed across the line. You never mm-hmm. think that it's going as well as it is. It's always in retrospect with wonderful introductions like that. I go, oh, God, it was quite good, wasn't it? Yeah, of course. My life has, has changed forever, irrevocably, so... I mean, in a very different way, of course, but like similar to something like Nanette and listeners of the show will be aware of Hannah Gadsby's brilliant work. There was a something that you can't quite put your finger on about the fact that your show, it wasn't just speaking to our community and allies within our community. It was going straight through society and going, hey, hey, listen to this, because this is the real lived experience. This is the human just joy, I think, because that's obviously relatable. That's there's languageless joy is just an experience that we're all evolutionary. It's an imperative. We should be able to feel joy. Also, I don't think there's a single word in my show, or there's not a sentence that you don't understand the meaning of. There's no there's no words that anybody coming into that show, like for example, I could be talking about my wife's a cisgender woman, but I don't throw that word in just in case there's somebody who doesn't quite know and I don't want to ever feel like I'm tripping anybody up. So I'm describing those things, but there's never even a word that you don't know. Um, there's concepts and ideas that you might have not have thought about in you know combined, but certainly no no specific terms. It really is supposed to be for everybody. The, the interesting thing there is then I would look out into the faces of perhaps like transgender audience members and I'm like, I hope I'm not treading over such old ground that they're bored. Uh, luckily, the experience has been that people have said the loveliest things and we've, I've hit a really nice line where everyone just enjoys themselves. There was a glut of very self-effacing um, comics, like low-energy self-effacing comics, which I love. I just, I actually don't have the skill set to, to, to concentrate that hard. <laughs> I jump around like a child because that's my natural gear and you, I don't think there's many people quite... Maybe it's just people don't... <laughs> like. I enjoy things a bit more than people around me I, I think life is amazing yeah I'm, really I, well, I'm like I'm very upbeat and you are very upbeat, bouncy very upbeat on yeah. stage but I think yeah you're right you're just pouring joy I just love it so much what a weird job we have like, yeah it's really lucky yeah it's the dream yeah and you get to have these sort of chats and like it, it, it's weird when you're transgender you get put on a pedestal anyway for doing nothing <laughs> like, yeah. like I, I'd say in the song I put earrings on for the first time and people are like God, God Jordan you're so beautiful like, I didn't do anything I put some earrings on you don't have to be that supportive thank you for your wonderful support but I didn't actually do anything so when you're put on such a pedestal and then I've had the dream Edinburgh it really is dream come true can't really blame anyone for not sort of staying grounded so I'm trying as much as I can but most of that just comes by turning up the self-effacing dial and just constantly saying to yourself this could end at any minute like so just working hard and sort of staying at it I think that's also a good trick in reminding yourself to enjoy it yeah you know I think that I've been doing stand-ups for a long old time now and I've had some lovely opportunities and done some lovely things and I think that you know having that energy of like well it could all go away but it hasn't yet yeah isn't this awesome isn't that cool is a nice way to come at it rather than sort of holding on to it going, don't go, don't go. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggle with enjoying that. That's the irony. I love the, the in the moment, love it. Everything that comes around, because um, I'm a working class comedian, there's a, a gene that says don't say no to anything. Mm-hmm. And also anything could just put squirrel all your money away. Yeah. Just keep every opportunity. And uh, it, it's, it's not needed now. It's like a, I've got a vestigial 
gene that is now not necessary but it's still every single opportunity it's like we better say yes and now my calendar i've got like four calendars overlapping that don't work so there's people in place now to tell me to stop saying yes to things which is important it's nice yeah i'm learning in real time i do feel like a bit of a baby in this whole industry but that's nice as well. I quite like feeling like a little baby. Oh, I like feeling like everything's organised for me. Yeah. Like a, my wife is like, she's the one that's very organised and she's sort of, nice. I really like being told what to do and when to be there. I'm like, great. Sure. <laughs> Just she, uh, she's a media savvy sort of a person as well. Like she's sort of, is that her jam? No, she's yeah. she's she's in finance. Oh, right. She's wow. like, a completely different world. Yeah. Okay. Which And she's very, very good at it. She's yeah. very impressive. But yeah, we've come t- together through... Uh, not we never should have met, but we're just from such different worlds. Yeah, my, technically my wife is in finance. She's a croupier. Oh, that, oh that's <laughs> so cool. She gives people money, but it's not her money to give. And and it's uh, it's luck based. I Does guess. that mean she knows how to play all the games and yeah. she's really good at them? She's like a Bond villain. She's from Czech Republic and she plays, she does roulette and blackjack. So it is like a, her English is perfect, but it's really sweetly broken. So she'll have these turns of phrase that are very like Bond villain-esque. The other day she said to me like, <laughs> something happened. She was like, well, what do you think about this bag of apples? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? You know what she means, but it's a few steps removed from like the real thing. I what and what did you think about those bag of apples? They were fine. A little bit tart, a little, bit, little bit sour, but like yeah, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, I love it when she does that because I like that. It, it sometimes, even though I know her really well, it takes me a few seconds to realise what she's talking about. Oh, the other day, the other day, she said, um, "I went to the shop. She said, can you pick me up a? Please pick me up a can of Mr. Brown.'" And I was like, "What is Mr. Brown?" It took us about twenty minutes to figure. She was talking about Dr. Pepper, <laughs> Mr. Brown. Think of the jumps. That's yeah, it's lovely. So sweet, Mr. Brown. A little cheeky can of Mr. Brown. <laughs> oh, I love it. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Quite often on this podcast, we sort of start chronologically. Sure. I obviously want to talk more about your show and what you're up to next. But I know that you grew up in Essex. Yeah. Whereabouts in Essex? Uh, I suppose I was born in I was born in Horndon on the Hill, and then I lived a long time in Orsett. But you could you could throw a dart at a map of Essex. I've been everywhere: Stamford, Corringham, a lot of Tilbury Town. I spent a lot of my formative years in Tilbury, the dock. Town. Right. Okay. Yeah. We have lots of listeners that live overseas. If you can sort of paint. Tilbury Docks for us. What does that look like? It's, it, it take a while. It takes several coats. <laughs> I imagine uh, Tilbury. Well, Tilbury's a commuter town, so most people sleep there and work in London, which means that the place itself, not to speak ill of where you grow up, but there's not really a spirit to the place because it's a vessel for people. It's like a like a imagine a cryogenic pod on a spaceship when you're travelling from one place to another. You come there to just exist while you're in transit to somewhere else, um, and it's a port town, so. I mean, we, we, my house was sandwiched between the county's largest dump and the train station. So psychogeographically, which is a word I learned recently, um, you sort of feel a bit trapped in, definitely. There's, there's only one route out. Like, you could get on the train tracks. Don't ever get on the train track. Metaphorically, you could get on the train track and just keep walking to London. And there's a certain point. Thurrock's got like a dark cloud over it because it is sort of really condensed. You Even on the train, you get out of Tilbury, get out of Greys, out of Chafford 100 where Lakeside is. And then suddenly things start to relax. Sort of a weight drops off my shoulders. That might be because, you know, growing up in a town, that's where you hold all your childhood memories, good and bad. But just sort of feels like there's a bit of a cloud over where I live. 
Mm. People that listen to the show will know I've asked this quite a few times because it's very much how I felt. But did you have that idea of like London being like the place where promises come true? Yeah. Or like, you know, it's like gold plated and it's... Of course, I I came out of school into music. I Mm -hmm. never did anything else. And it's, if you had a gig in London, even if it was in you know a basement and two people showed up you did it in london yeah. london london baby yeah of course it's like it's the, the the big smoke but like the good kind like the stage kind of smoke yes smoke machine smoke and what were you i know that you're really musical and i want to talk about because you had like a 10 year music career yeah before getting into comedy but what were you, what were you like what was jordan like as a kid oh <sighs> I was like the normal amount of lonely, I think, because we all think we're mm-hmm. the loneliest person in the world. But then the irony is everyone's really lonely. We could just yeah. talk to each other about it. Normal lonely. I had a big ginger afro that was relentless, couldn't do anything about it. But then I joined a death metal band when I was about 13. Um, so they made me dye my hair black, which I didn't mind at all at the time. And then I straightened it. So now it's well, it's an audio medium, but I look a little bit like Slash from Guns N' Roses. <laughs> head, head um, I was like, yeah, just like a little nerd. I loved Pokemon and still do more than anything so that was good timing I had a Game Boy which I lived in you know like that that was just my little world a straight A's we don't say that in England do we what's the like straight A student that feels like a very American terminology I don't know whether we've just adopted that now yeah the straight A's except for PE it's like I was a cliche of a of a little nerd I like it I like that I was a little nerd and how old are you I'm 33 you're 33 so you're a little bit younger than me I mean you definitely would have been in school when like Section 28 was happening. Mm. I don't want to cross parts of the community that's that's incorrect, but that would have been something that you were... I don't actually even know how you identify. Obviously, I know that you're a trans woman, but were you sort of aware of that sort of backlash against the queer community? Was that something you were even I should have aware been. of? I, I should have been more because my mum was the... F- she was on the founding um, board of the hate crime campaign in London, like the first campaign that sort of came in that made that, you know brought that to the forefront oh wow but if, it's called the hate crime campaign but i just want to put a very anti-hate crime yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah just it wasn't it wasn't yeah. a campaign of hate yeah. crime yeah yeah sure <laughs> um it did very much to sort of dispel uh, hate crimes or like yeah um, bring them to the forefront of people's minds and what it really means so she was the the lesbian and then there was various um ethnicities and religious backgrounds people but it was just really cool i remember i went to lots of prides but it was just usualized i really like that word rather mm-hmm. than normalised, like yes. usualised, it's really nice. So much that it was never a question. It's just in my DNA that this is this is the way that life is, the, probably the be- best version of life. It's certainly more fun and colourful that everyone loves whoever they want. So it was never, there was ne- never a question. But I don't think I was aware of Section 28 actually unfolding. Mm. I don't remember that. I enjoyed probably 22 years of sweet, sweet heterosexual male privilege before right. transitioning. And so, I, yeah, I, I didn't... It's really interesting when you transition from like a male to a female, for example sexuality doesn't obviously change for some reason people think that's all part and parcel and yet you have to tick a different box in the gum clinic now like because if you are a lesbian now if you're only with a woman for example um so i've really never had to question anything like that Mm. i'm not naive to the fact i've had a very privileged go of it no no i just i wondered whether because i was thinking that on the way here today because i was thinking like section 28 is something that comes up quite frequently in these chats but also like with me and my friends and going oh oh, yeah that was sort of a weird thing at school and I guess that was maybe that's why I carry this little bag of shame that goes next to that other bag of shame that I carry and I just wondered whether as 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 a trans woman similar age to me whether that was something that was I don't know like uh yeah just something that you were aware of but now that you say I didn't realize that your mum was gay so yeah just always the way um so outings would would have been pride because she was there in an administrative capacity Mm -hmm. wasn't we were there to celebrate I would be backstage and stuff first I remember this is perhaps too personal of a question but it's worth worth prodding like do you, if you do you remember you the the moment that your sexuality uh, not one way or the other j- just sparked as a young person yeah a girl uh, leant over in my french class oh and in I, the french as well and i distinctly remember being like wow look at her bum oh bum oh because i pictured the front side oh little, no, no, little like french her, bum wow, yeah the derriere. quite wow we oui, we oui. and um <laughs> i was like oh that's nice. And then my brain was like, you shouldn't think that's nice. You shouldn't think that's nice. Oh, wow, of course. And so there was like oh. a distinct moment. But I don't think that's necessarily the same for everyone. Um, <laughs> no, I suspect it's quite niche. <laughs> Not, everyone's... Not everyone was in my French class. But yeah, exactly. Mine, mine was German. Yeah. yeah so I went to an exclusively yeah. lesbian school and we <laughs> were all in French. French school. 
I mean, I'd love to go to an exclusive lesbian French school. If yeah. anyone knows of, of, of a place where I can yeah. retake up my French, please let me know. I only bring it up because I remember distinctly, I was backstage at a Pride and I saw a, a wonderfully... So I do consciously remember drag changing in art form from old school drag to very hyper-feminised yes. presenting thing. And I saw a very feminine, shirtless drag queen eating a banana. And it was, oh, what? I don't know what this means, but it's amazing. And it was, and it also, it's in a, a situation full of so much joy and celebration. Yes. I was like, this must be a really good thing that I'm looking at right now. Oh, wow. So that was lovely. Yeah. How old do you think you were? Ten. Right. Nine or ten. It's just like a thing of like, also, you, like, you're not supposed to not wear a shirt in public when you, as a child, you're told that put, keep your clothes yeah. on. Especially. Ever since I was about six, I reckon, I was probably told to put your clothes on. Um, so this person didn't have a, their top on. And, I don't know. Like, obviously, I didn't know any of the implications. It's it's seeing it now. It probably sparked a completely different thing. I was like, ah, oh, this. It's like a private moment that I saw. It was quite cool. It's quite a pedestrian for them. Quite powerful. Well, of course, yeah, but it's... loading up on potassium. I was like, wow. <laughs> well, there's there's a musical called Fun Home. Do you know? It? I know that you're quite into. No, it. no, I don't know that one. It's a musical called Fun Home. It's based on the books by um, Alison Bechdel. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And so based on her comic books, but right. there's this great song in it about when a little girl realizes that she's a lesbian and not so much realizes she's a lesbian, but sees someone that's like, oh, you're like me, oh. and it's because of how she has a ring of keys. So she's got like a oh, keychain and a okay. ring of keys. Yeah. And it's this thing of like, and it, as you say, like very pedestrian to somebody else, but to her was like, oh. Right. oh Oh, that somehow makes sense to me, which is... That's yeah, so sweet. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so when you came out of school as the nerdy straight A, except for PE, um, <laughs> person, did, did you go, You went straight into the music industry? Yeah, I, I, I was at college, but I was already straight into music. I was in that death metal band. We, mm-hmm. Would right. you always piano? No, uh, no. It was, I was. I loved your impression. It was quite a uh, arachnoid. Your impression of a piano yeah. was very spider-like. Um, I'm, I only play like really hard stuff. Where you've got to, like use the whole of the piano. It's also it's up by your chin, which is yeah. Crazy. It's really uh, weird. I've, yeah. I need to get a new seat. It's quite sweet <laughs> that you're kneeling to play the piano, and you yeah. Um, That's because I think I, I respect it so much. I only kneel in front of it. The altar of music. I quite see, yeah. Of course. Finally, uh, someone gets me. <laughs> our little grindcore band. I was the vocalist, which, right. which is not a. It, there's not really anyone that teaches you how to do that, so you have to figure out how to do it yourself. And I think I was doing a lot of damage to my voice. I was doing the inward breathing, which I shan't now repeat on a microphone because it would pick up too much. But like a like, <gasps> but like really growly, really big. Um, but I was just breathing in the whole time. And then I was also in this really sweet little sideline acoustic band that was like falling by the wayside because my voice was just ripped apart from gigs every time. So I had to decide which avenue I was going down. So I joined the acoustic band. And then from then on, just uh, pursued more contemporary music all the way through college and never did anything else for 10 years. Always music around the world. Lovely. Seven albums. Yeah. Just a you dream. were successful. You, were, you had a, a real career. It was really nice. Yeah. Like a tall, dark friend was my yeah. stage name, which is why it's now all my social media handles. It's like um, music can be very lonely because if you're a solo artist, mm-hmm. there's a difference. All my friends were in bands, so there's a different experience. But they all went to uni to do music and I didn't have a musical skill I, d- I couldn't do anything when, when they were left for college so a well-wisher brought me a keyboard I just sat behind that forever oh really yeah, I, I sort of assumed you grew up playing no no I've, well, so I can't read I can't read it I can read words like, okay. or letters I can't read I mean I've just done that intro to you so you know that I can't yeah, read so don't same, worry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not a very similar trajectory you and I um, but I can't read music uh, and therefore can't write it mm-hmm. p- particularly proficiently. But I learned by drawing happy faces and, and sad faces on all the keys because um, A minor is a sad key. So that, that for me, I was like, okay, those three together will um, be sad. Yeah, oh, that was A minor. Was it? I think so. Oh, I, I'm not God. like I don't have that good of an ear, but that sounded about right to me. <laughs> that I was just making a sad sound. <laughs> right. No, here's why that's really interesting because it, the reason it's sad is because it's in the, the notes that the chords that come before and after. You're telling the story and you go from a C major, which is, it's not happy or sad, it's just A sound. But then you go to A minor and you go, oh, it's gone sad now. But the fact that you just produce a sound, this is just a sad sound, but it's only one note. It's very interesting that you could summon that up in yourself. I I can always summon sad noises. (laughs) (laughs) Right. A, a keyboard laden with just that sound that you made. You know, like when they can pitch up like the sound. Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah. To me, that sounds like a great album. Yeah, I'd call that instrument a Ruffaloid. I, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. Well, it's mine. You can't have it. Oh, what? Uh, it's my name. Then it's <laughs> right. Okay, you're right. Okay, now. well, this is going to get... The, if we're going to go into... Okay, we're going to have to cut the interview. Legal space. Yeah, <laughs> I'm up out the door. <laughs> 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. So what was that like, travelling all over the world? Did no, you love it? Yeah, I love it, but it's just lonely. But, but, but when you, I suppose when you grow up lonely, you just assume that everything must be lonely and grey and therefore there isn't any peaks and colours and Disneyland was a lie and everything your parents told you about happiness was a lie. So music was the thing that... I mean, you get if anything that you can get attention for that is enjoyable makes you think, oh, this must be the right course of action. And it just went well constantly over and over and over again. I used to laugh a lot when I was playing and jump around a lot and shuffle and then be like sit down stop calm down because you're never going to get anywhere by being wacky and then so the the move into comedy is like really an easy one so it's like well, all the good things that i like about it that you're making me not do i get to put all those back in and be wacky and silly but i did the voice in 2016 would have mm-hmm. been the culmination of all that yeah music and it's a wonderful experience it's really nice so please tell me if i'm using the language incorrectly now because i'm very happy to learn publicly. yeah that's great but your your transition happened post your music oh gosh so you're, yeah sorry you're right I was 24 when I realised I lived in Sweden for a long time right. before I transitioned um, I lived on a ranch um, and I, I went out there to do a show to play some music and I said I love this place can I live on your ranch I'll do it, whatever you want I'll fix things and whatever I'll wash the horses which I, I end up washing a lot of horses Susie. Um, and can I just live here for that and room and board and they said yes and then I would play music once a month for the, like this, the, where I was living for the big public gatherings Oh. and get paid so I had a life out there and got, got engaged to like a, a proper Swede like a lovely Swede like a real like the person not the vegetable <laughs> like a lady um, that was Swedish blonde hair mountain mountainy blue eyes there's a genetic sort of mountain woman trait in the eyes of certain like people that of a certain region where it's slightly offset and it's just it, it, so I would say it looks like they're, they're that sort of looking through you but in like a really beautiful way it's really nice and mysterious she was one of them but then I was chopping wood in the woods <laughs> where there's lots of wood for the winter. I was there and I didn't have a shirt on and I was like chopping and chopping and I realised this feels really weird and it was like kind of a moment of, oh, something's a bit weird now. I've gone hyper-masculine at, without really thinking about it and it was sort of a... Obviously, all genders are capable of chopping wood with their shirt off, mm-hmm. but it was a bit... I just felt like a bit of a cliche. And I was on my own as well. It wasn't like I was surrounded by people judging me. I was out there alone with an axe above my head, like, oh, this is weird. And then from then on, I realised that there was... what was something was going on and made steps to move in the right direction and be happy and align my psychology with my physiology, mm-hmm. as they say. That's a nice way of saying it. Yeah. Just get your psyche, your body and your brain to match is, is nice. So, yeah, I transitioned maybe a year before I did The Voice, so 24 or 25. Was that like a shock for you? Were you like, oh, I guess I've been heading to this all along? Because I've spoken to some trans people that say like, oh, no, it sort of all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is different. Or was it sort of always there? That's interesting, isn't it? Because you could, you could, both answers could be correct of the same of thing, but you didn't realise that something was building. And uh. then when it flips, you go, oh, everything's different. It could have all been repressed mm. and you're revisiting those. Yeah. I feel like when you're in the arts, everything's kind of, if it's going right, everything's sort of liberal, left-leaning, well-meaning. Yes. And we're all very like supportive of each other. So if I show up, like I did a music video where I appeared as a woman a couple of times in my old music videos. And for me, it's just like, oh, this is just a bit of the music video. But it's obviously me trying to express something. Right. Yeah. Never would have thought that in a million years. Even now looking at it, I don't go, oh, there I am in my infancy trying to get out. No, it's just a bit of that video. But it's clear that I was happy to express that bit. And people would just go, oh, Jordan's just sort of being David Bowie today, just being sort of, Feminine presenter. Yeah. I love saying feminine. I love pronouncing You've it slightly feminine wrong. You've used feminine so many times, and I, every single time I've been like, have I been saying it wrong? No, all you're my saying life? it right. <laughs> There's a guy called 
uh, some, something Stamets, and he's the leading mycologist in the world. Like he's a, he's, uh, he's a, a, a expert on mushrooms and oh. and mycelium, but he calls it fungi instead <laughs> of fungi. But he, I know he knows that it's not that, but it's probably an ancient way of saying it. And he's so spiritually connected to mushrooms, and I'm like, good on him. Yeah, fungi. why not? All I the like kinds that. of fungi. So I, I, I always say fe- feminine and masculine. I like both of them. Good. Um, so talk to me about the voice. I watched those clips this morning. Did you? Yeah, did you, you were brilliant. Oh, that's really sweet. Thank you. Really brilliant. I, you, I mean, you've time. got such a great voice and you are, I mean, really a special performer in that it charisma and there's something about you that just makes, uh, I think, an audience want to engage with you. Thank you. You like drag us in. I think I've got one of them voices like an Elton John where if I'm in the musical, I would be, I'd be the worst one in that musical. I don't have a consistently powerful perfect voice but I can write stuff for myself where I get to utilise what I can do well and I think that's the same of Elton John he's got such a lovely beautiful voice but he writes his own music Mm. yeah like I've got a character voice that's it I could do like Ursula the Sea Witch Mm -hmm. because I can be very expressive but there's no way I'm hitting the aerials I also think the storytelling in how you sing Oh, it's that's really, really nice. Like that, the, I think you're really wonderful. Like, tell me the story. The elements of vocal sort of training. I mean, I'm self-trained, but there's there's obviously your pitch and your cadence and your mm-hmm. tone and your timbre and your volume. But then there is expression. And if you're not a, like a super competent singer, which I'm not, I I, I sing fine. I'm not going to be self-effacing. I sing perfectly fine. But I can I put loads of character in to make up for all those shortfalls. So you never think I'm off key. If you actually put it <laughs> under a microscope, I'm probably off key loads. But it's all. I'm not do an example because I couldn't think of what that was, but there's a lot of over pronunciation and sort of maybe bursts of mania and anger and stuff that tells the story, like mm. you say, and that's that's a really fun way to sing, and it makes you really characterful. Characterful is a good word. Yeah, for it. I like that. I've got a characterful voice because I will get in my you know autumn of my life, I'll end up doing like Disney villains. <laughs> that's my voice that I've got. But then who's to say whether like a voice that is just like literally pitch perfect is more interesting to listen to than one that's I agree. full of character. I agree. Daniel Johnston, or Bob Dylan, whatever. Yeah, these voices, mm. they're not, not traditional, yeah. like, perfect voices. But that's storytelling. I suppose it is a storytelling. Um, I'm also, I feel like I have a gear that I go into that's nothing to do with me where I feel like I'm incredibly present. And I quit music once when I stopped feeling present because I was like, well, I'm not giving, I'm giving mm. 20%. But it, on my face, it looks like 100%. And that's not right. I shouldn't be faking it. So then I quit for like a year. That's when I went to Sweden. Um, and chopped wood chopped wood and then yeah came all the way back around i'm so present that it'd take a bit of a stony hearted bastard to watch me and not go well, this person's at least trying really well, hard yeah like, giving it their all yeah so like let's get involved that's it I'm, I'm never i'm never on autopilot touch wood yeah there's no wood i mean it's a- oh there's some behind you is that wood we'll say it's wood enjoyed that it sounded like wood didn't it i Listeners. think it's wood yeah when you were sort of doing the voice for example like when you were sort of deciding to go on such a big primetime show with such a huge following. And, I mean, I'm trying to think about it. Obviously, sort of over the last couple of years, maybe three years, four years, the safety of of trans women especially has been something that has been, I think, at more risk or has been something that's been more vitriol in the newspapers. In 2016, did you feel at all... Did it feel like that then, before you went on... The it voice? Was, it was like the they told me after the first couple of recordings, because you pre-record the first bits and then the rest of it's live. They right. told me after the first ones, they said, you know, you're the first transgender person to do the show in the whole world. Wow. It's a really lovely thing for people to say. But suddenly, and they said, you know, that's gonna uh, there's going to be a lot of reaction to that, good and bad. And it was the weirdest thing. It was a real epiphany in my life. I, you shouldn't look at comments, but I did. Mm. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And they were 50-50 divided between the following verbatim. She's amazing and he's awful. That's very, very strange. There's no he's incredible or she's awful. It's like the support and the and the artistic, it was the same. Basically, people can't get past how they feel about something. So it, either the talent is disregarded or the gender is disregarded. I haven't quite decided what people were doing in their minds, but there was never a, oh, he's really good. I like this guy. Yeah, it's almost like they wouldn't uh, allow themselves to see you. So they couldn't like what you were doing. Right, which then puts the whole talent thing into question. It's like, yeah. does, what, does, what does it matter then? I, I can't handle support for support's sake, nor can I handle being like disregarded for disregarding's sake. Mm. So you just sort of don't get to enjoy... I, I never feel the barbs and the jibes of insults, but I also don't feel the compliments because I've had to 
just go into that small bracket in the middle you probably feel i bet you reckon because you're sort of nodding in that way that i would yeah. nod if someone said it to me that thing of you 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 never people will come up to you after shows presumably all the time and it's oh god it's so wonderful so wonderful and you you hear them and i'm sure you appreciate it but it can't possibly register in that way all the time in your brain like the, the same dopamine hits because then you've widened yourself to such a a, a wide bracket of experience that you then would also feel the bad stuff yes yeah, i think that if you really really believe the hype that people give you yeah. um don't get me wrong when people say lovely things about my stand-up or about like this podcast for example it really means a lot to me because i sort of pour so much into it but when yeah. you know if you read the good reviews you have to take the bad reviews yeah you know if you if you believe that someone said that th- this this thing's five stars okay great but then does that mean i've got to believe you when it's two stars but i really love that show and yeah, audiences yeah. really love that show yeah. emotional algebra it's really weird that we do that, but it's so true. We just assume that it's both the same. And if you start to make excuses for bad reviews, then you're like, well, okay, well, why wouldn't those excuses apply to the good ones? Oh, no. Oh, everything's a lie. So I just only feel this very small, slightly undulating waveform of emotion in the middle. And I think that's why I'm doing all right, because I actually only really have two gears, mm. slightly excited and a little bit more excited than that. But there's nothing, yeah. I, I never dip and I never go. Man. I always think that with performing live, it's about trusting what happens in the room. Yes. You know, that's yeah, the thing sure. for me where I always go, I had a lovely time. They had a lovely time. It was a lovely time. Achievement. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So then that's the interesting thing because I, I agree with you until it goes, it, you come out leaving thinking, oh God, that was awful. But then you still have people say, that was wonderful. That was really, really great. And I kind of want to, I need the lifeline of that then. That's when I'll take a good compliment when yes. I feel really bad and they go, are you joking? That was yeah. the best thing I've ever seen. I'm like, I, I don't believe you, but I'm, I'm glad you said it because I needed something to pull me back from that. But I think the thing is as well is that audiences don't know what it's like on another night. That's so true. So like on tour, I find that I'll have one, I'm not going to mention somewhere in the country, but I'll have one in some place and be like, oh, I guess I've solved comedy, guys. (laughs) Someone (laughs) ring comedy. I've solved it. And then like two nights later, you'll be like, guys, turns out I had the wrong memo. I have not solved comedy. Comedy (laughs) is still a mystery. but, but, But those people won't know that. I had a gig that felt really special and what they got was just a gig and sometimes gigs are just gigs I'll I beat find. myself up so hard for an 8 out of 10 now because of everything that's going and everything's mm. going so well I've just done two weeks in Soho and I had a wonderful time I don't think I've had a 5 out of 10 for like a year anyway I'm very mm. very lucky but I had a couple of 8 out of 10s at Soho and I just was devastated I was like well that wasn't where's the magic what happened to the magic and it was just there I was just a bit tired but I'll I'll beat myself up for days after that and I don't know what to do about it which is why I've come here today. <laughs> Please fix me. Do you know that Sarah Millican thing of like you only have until 11 o'clock the next day to moan about a gig? No, so, that's great. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm like 99% certain that Sarah said this. Yeah. Uh, Millican, who's a fantastic comedian and um, she's got a very, very wise head on her shoulders. But she said about if you have a bad gig, you only give yourself until 11 o'clock the next day to stew over it. And then after that, yeah. Right, good. And after that, that's it. You draw a line. That happened in the past. You've now got your next show to go to. I like that. That's, that's, Which I use a lot, actually. That's a nice piece of actual practical advice, and it's not just a platitude. That's There's numbers there. There's yeah. solid data. She also said, I believe, on Stu Goldsmith's show ages mm-hmm. ago, got me into comedy in the first place, she said something like, people will always say you need to be able to play every room. She was like, that's bullshit. I don't need to be able to walk into a room full of children and entertain them. It's a different thing. Yeah. Like, it's... it's yeah. But don't beat yourself up. You find your audience. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to make bigots like me. There was a time when I was on the circuit and I sort of would have to be like, when I'd like someone would shout out Dyke before I got to the microphone. Yeah. Like, oh, let me deal with that. <laughs> oh, but, you know, so I had to play those rooms to a degree. And now I've got the privilege that I tour. But there, there was that thing where it's like, you've got to be able to play every room. And it's like, well, I don't want to make people that are horrible like me. No. I don't want them to, I don't want to be so funny that they'll see past something that I, A, can't help and B, have learned to not hate about myself wow that's really cool yeah you you when your skill set has reached a point where you are able to manipulate the minds of people that wouldn't necessarily agree with you as an entity but you've made them laugh but that hasn't but hasn't changed their opinion that's really interesting so they keep they would feel that but they're like oh, okay well that was well at least she's funny but then i'll be like oh funny. well you didn't get anything that's really interesting my whole thing is that like i'm i played to a really broad subset of like a the Day three of the fringe, I got like a five in the Telegraph. Wonderful, mm-hmm. really, really sweet. But then, so a week later, all the Telegraph people. Of came. course, yeah. I'm playing to a bunch of people that would never come and see me because they basically they read a piece of paper that said, "Go see this." Would yeah. You use your time and money on this thing at this time, and I had to learn how to do that and use it. Um, but I, I do have an. If there's an agenda at all, it's just make everyone laugh. But I'm doing it with material about being transgender. Mm. So I, I, I'm not. If it's if I get a laugh 
a, a big broad laugh on something else i can see why yeah i don't want it just to slip across the line but if i can make somebody laugh about a silly turn of phrase that makes them rethink what they think mm. about male and female and everything in between that's nice so i'm kind of on that kick at the moment yeah i know i totally agree because i feel like if someone's like a massive bigot i'm like I don't, I don't care that you're not in my audience but if someone comes and they're like oh you've sort of changed my mind about that yeah i'm fine with that yeah that's the wonderful thing about the arts quite a lot of the time whether it's a book or a play or a comedy show where just being yourself can sort of change hearts and minds yeah. and put an identity to what is certainly for you maybe for some of those people that have read the the review in a, in a newspaper like the telegraph that the idea of a trans woman might have just been something they'd read about mm. before right. do, do you know what i mean i right, think that's yeah. the thing that has come up a few times on this show is that you know the I don't remember who it was, but they, it might have been Juno Dawson said something like, you know, the amount of, you would, you would think there were so many of us. That's, yeah, we are overly represented in that sense. Yeah. And that's, that is very, very interesting because then it, we pose a grander threat, which, not again, which is non-existent. Yes. Alec Menin said something incredible the other day that I, that really who's, took to Who's her. that? Alec V. Menin's an, an amazing, um, like, influencer and performer that right. I met at the Fringe, mm-hmm. uh, Tours the World, and um, they said... Basically, it's along the lines. It's a really easy soundbite to take. It's that transgender people represent freedom because they've made a choice that ordinarily would be a a binary choice to a lot Mm -hmm. of people. And they've they've traversed that. It's almost the hero's journey. You know, you've traversed, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you've gone into another realm, you've gotten information and come back and now you can check. It's a freedom that isn't afforded to other people, especially in a world where our freedoms feel like they're being taken away bit by bit by bit. Mm -hmm. The point is, it's actually easier for most people to decide in their mind that freedom can't actually exist and doesn't exist because they haven't got any. So if they failed as a person because they haven't got freedom, it's actually easier to say, well, that's because there's no such thing as freedom. We're all crashed and we're all pushed down. If you see something flourishing, it's far easier to demonize that thing that's flourishing and say, well, that must be a trick or that must be wrong. You can't do that. There can't be freedom because I don't have any freedom. And it's a really painful thing to have to find out about yourself that you're not free or don't feel free and Mm -hmm. it's your fault. So it's easier to blame a transgender person than it is to blame the government, basically, for, yeah. for feeling trapped. Because we, we, yeah, we, we represent freedom, which is a th- is a threat to the idea that you're not free. That's that's quite a powerful thing that hit me the other day that they that Alex said. It means now when I'm pitching like TV and stuff, and there's all these ideas about jokes of like potentially um, pranking people, and then they find out that they had different thoughts all along. And I'm not here to trip anybody up. I completely empathise with the idea of not feeling free. I happen to have changed gender, which is quite a, quite a jump, and I get to be a comedian for a living, which is a certain affords you a certain freedom. But I, I, I totally empathise with people that don't feel free. That, what a horrible feeling it must be to just be like, I have no options and choices. Yeah, and then no I'm walking agency. around like, look at me, being all free, and that that's not that can't be fun for people. So I don't flaunt it. I love a drag queen. I'm obviously not one. Not that a broad audience would know the difference. Then that's kind of a big thing to me as well. Mm-hmm. I don't have a, a fierce bone in my body. I, I'm not. I'm nobody's queen. Like and and that's really important because I'm not walking into a room like, listen up, bitches. This is how it works. I'm like, and it's not an act. It's not an act. Which it's not performative, that is what, right? You that know, is of course, yeah, the the uh, the distinction, yeah. And for a lot. Sorry, of I was putting words in your mouth. Then I was just agreeing. Good words. I'll take those vocally. words any day. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice that. Like uh, I genuinely am the I'm Carl Pilkinson, an idiot abroad. I I am I don't know this stuff, and I I'm, so I'm supposed to be there. I'm supposed to be in the world, like answering questions and figuring stuff out. But I'm just an every woman mm-hmm. who's gone through the journey, and I like that I'm catching up at the same time as everybody else. I, I, there's a certain like when you're on, you you feel like perhaps you feel this way. You need to keep up with the very latest terminologies because I want to make sure I know what people are talking about. But also, it's quite sweet and fun watching me not being able to figure it out. I've done it on Prides many times, brought very young people up to talk about their expressions. And I heard, I've heard wonderful things. I heard about, oh, God, somebody told me the other day about a phrase called Bambi sexual, which is uh, exclusively same-sex female sexuality, where you just cuddle more than anything else. It's Bambi sexual. Like, you're very... You, it's, it's a, so what's, like, am, amory versus sexuality? What's that, like... What's the amorous um, thing? Uh, It's like loving a woman and a woman loving you back and sex is on the table, not physically, like it just can happen. But you really just cuddle because that's the bit that you like the most and it's Bambi sexual. And I thought it was really sweet. But I I had to learn this in real time from a young person like on stage at Pride. So And it was a lovely conversation. And I think as well, like there have certainly been times in this podcast where I've gone, oh, I think I got that wrong and I'm okay to publicly learn because I yeah, never want someone to be like you got it wrong and you should know these things and yeah. I never want to be that person on stage either Yeah, because you know I've I've got 
that there are a lot of queer people come to my shows, of course, but I have loads of straight people that come and watch me and I always want it to be like, oh, this is for you as well. Yeah. It's inclusive, yeah. like everyone's invited. And I love the, you know, the straight folk that come along that are, you know, that are interested in my life and how it works and, you know, pe- the journey of parenting and how that might be different to theirs. And, yeah. you know, if, I think if you come to that, those conversations with kindness, I mean, obviously sometimes you need rage, but I think <laughs> quite often coming to it with kindness can be a good way of stepping forward as well. Yeah, I do feel a bit of pressure. I've never really spoke to anybody about this before, but it's a very conf- confessional podcast. Like the last little while, so we've, we've been putting out um, adverts. For, I'm doing a big show at the London mm. Palladium. It's very exciting. So we've put out personal adverts out to all my people, and so they're all galvanised and excited. And then we put out just abroad, just a whole of Facebook, mm. and it's exclusively hate-filled vitriol returns it's so sad because it's the same advert that people i know are getting congratulations jordan oh, i'm so happy for this journey you really deserve it and then stuff that i shan't repeat from the other side just exclusively awful awful stuff the pressure is for me to not cave for a single second because i am the person that is the as i've been described uh the, the friendly face of transgenderism or whatever or the no the accessible face of transgenderism mm. for people that don't know what it is so I don't get to have that public sort of acknowledgement that I'm angry or upset about it. it can, you can say you're upset, but it's, I, I do feel a pressure to just be like, oh, this is all kooky and crazy and fun and I'm just along for the ride. And it's like I'm a cartoon character and I'm, I don't mind that, but there's diminishing returns on that. I'm going to end up just tricking myself into thinking I'm a cartoon character and I won't feel anything. <laughs> do you... I mean, first of all, I'm really sorry that the ad gets that sort of horrible response from some people, but... Do you need to be aware of it? Do you need to be across that? I don't need to necessarily, but it's it's on my socials. So I'll. But so, can't you give yeah. that to someone else in the lead up to such a big show? They are actually there is people across it, but I just want to check like like some I've done a photo of a cat, and so I was like, whoever's commented on your photo, I'm like, oh, I'll yeah. check that. Oh, it's not that one. Oh, it's the advert. So I I can't find the distinction. I, I have stopped looking at it. As I much. had to get off Twitter. Yeah. I mean, it was very very stressful. But it's so strange though because it's like it's. I love situations. I don't love them. They're heartbreaking, but I like that they exist. It's fascinating that there's situations in life where a bad thing happens. Someone says a bad thing, but there's actually nobody at fault. A situation is just heartbreaking, but there's actually nobody at fault. You could argue that someone saying a nasty thing online is they're at fault, but they don't think they're talking to you. They don't really think they're talking to a person. It's a sounding board. Something popped up they didn't like. It's their world. You're suddenly in their living room. So in their mind, they're not, they haven't tracked you at all. You feel like you've been tracked because it's in your living room and in your mm. face. They haven't travelled to you. You haven't travelled to them. But the nature of cyberspace is that you're suddenly face to face. So they expressed something and I felt sad. That's a situation that nobody's really at fault. Again, you could argue that they've done something mean. That's not the same thing as them actually actively attacking me. And it's the same when someone misgenders you. Nobody did anything wrong unless it was on purpose. Then mm-hmm. someone says, oh, hello, mate. Look, I'll tell you what, geezer, that was proper good. I get that so much. Like geez, like that was a proper good show. That's a heartbreaking situation because it's a compliment and it's the loveliest compliment that person could possibly give to yeah. you as well, especially if they weren't sure. Nobody did anything wrong and yet it hurts. And that's a situation where you have to you have to pull back on your instinct to dehumanise someone and say, Well, they just don't know. Oh pe- God, people are just, you know, so I- I- ignorant. And you just have to feel a little bit of heartbreak because who the hell I'm sorry to swear. <laughs> you we can heck, say what you can say what you like on here. Who the fuck ever Thank said you. that we were supposed to be happy? Nobody said it. It's literally written into the American Constitution, the pursuit of happiness. We ain't actually supposed to be happy. Biologically we're not supposed to be happy. It's nice when we are, it's lovely. We're supposed to try and get happy and then it's supposed to go away and we find it again and we find it again. Mm. Contentment cons- constant contentment is really bad for us and is uh, Charlie Chaplin said. To be completely content is the greatest horror I can imagine. So I'm paraphrasing. Mm. But it's true because what else do you do if you're just content? There's no... We're designed to be cold, so we go into a cave and get warm. We're designed to be hungry, so we go find food. If we were just happy, we'd starve to death in our own filth. <laughs> and metaphysically speaking, like if we were just happy, we wouldn't make any new friendships because we're content. We wouldn't do anything. Yeah. We wouldn't strive for no anything. No new great art, no Nothing. new great stories. No striving. So we're not just supposed to be happy. So it's good to live in those moments where heartbreak just happens but it wasn't anybody's fault tragedy is really important to just experience and and i think that's yeah that is the journey i'm on at the moment i like that i'm i like i'd like the cliche of the sad clown i'm not a sad clown I'm, I'm i'm way happier than a sad clown but i do like that i'm experiencing all the tragedy just privately and I, i'm not giving it out just yet mm. i don't know if that will change my life will change if i start 
being that much more confessional. But this has been really nice chat in that regard because I've genuinely not spoken to anybody about that. So thanks for listening. Well, thank you for being so open. I'm proper open, and I? God, but what, I love that. What a, what's the word? Humble person I am. What a wonderfully <laughs> open and humble and lovely person I am. <laughs> I want about maybe like close to 10 years ago now, The Guardian said I was a confessional comedian. My brain just went, go with that. So right. I just tell everyone everything. I trust The Guardian, to be fair. Guardian, I like, yeah. love me some Guardian. That was the first review I got, Cheeky Five, day two in The Guardian. That was set me up for the whole fringe. Are you still sort of coming to terms or getting to grips? Coming to terms sounds like a negative. Getting to grips with the fact that... Had you sold a lot of tickets at the beginning of the run? No. Was no, it no, like... No. It was a, you, and you were in one of the little containers, which I've done shows in. Yeah. Uh, for people that have been to the fringe. Seats. It's literally like a... Um, it's like a, it is a shipping container that they put seats in and make it into a little yeah. mini theatre. Little black curtains on yeah. the side so you can't see corrugated iron. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I had sold uh, 16 tickets for day one, maybe 20 for day two, and then day three it sold out. Boom. And then that was it for the run. And then we added and added and added. Incredible. It's the Guardian article. It's the first, the company that produced it, Stamp Town Comedy. They, they brought in some ringers. They papered it. So there was a lot of like yeah. really supportive comedians in day two. And then... That was it. it. The article popped out that morning and I never things. had to think about anything again. So we had 5,000 flyers in a box that were completely useless. So I started playing with them and just throwing them around everywhere because I'm never going to use them ever again. Ah, tile a bathroom. Yeah. Oh, make a suit. <laughs> Great idea. So I want to just talk to you a little bit more about the show just before we finish. Because I, I want to talk about the fact that you... I mean, can I can I talk about the end of the show? Yeah, of course. Are we allowed to talk about... Because yeah. I know that people will be listening to this, and I also I urge people, if you're listening, Jordan is doing a show in what will be this Friday, October 29th, which is a Friday, 9pm, at the Palladium. And um, sadly, I've only seen the show in video, and it still moved me and urged me to talk to Jordan at the earliest convenience so that I could speak to her on the podcast. But I um, I think it's really special. And if you like this and like or like what I do, I'm so sure that you will love it and you will think it's brilliant. But at the end of the show, you are completely nude, which is something that would utterly terrify me. Did that, was that something that you were like when you started writing the show, like that's how it was going to end? Not, no, it wasn't going to be the set piece, but it was, it almost felt like a natural progression. Because if you're going to give 200% for 45 minutes behind a piano, where can you go from there? And it's either dip right down and be very melancholy and, and do that, or just do something so much more stupid and silly i really love the fact that it stops being if it is sexual at all it's sexual for maybe a second Mm -hmm. and then it is just a six foot toddler running around there's no yeah there's no i don't think there's any titillation certainly not actively from my part it's just a big nude person having a stupidly fun time and Mm -hmm. you can't argue with that really i mean you can argue all you like but there's what what do you argue this is a person with the skin they were born in jumping around and making you laugh hopefully and I'm on a piano nude as well. That's I think there's something really nice about a public performance like that, that we're so used to seeing people. If you see music performed live, people have put on their Sunday vest or whatever yeah. they think best and represents them. And you've taken off your Sunday taken vest. Taken off my Sunday vest. <laughs> Had you ever been nude in front of an audience before? I did late and live in 2018. <gasps> right, okay. So you'd had it. that. Because I've yeah. never done that. And I also don't think that I ever would. Oh, maybe I would. I don't know. But It's a giggle. Yeah. So, But was it the first time that you did that in ending the show did it work straight away yeah it has right. I'm so lucky it hasn't ever not worked right okay because and I think it's for that reason of if someone's done that someone's new and also it's after 45 minutes it's not I just come out no, that, no, that no. would be different because then you'd have to decide who I was and how I felt about yeah, it yeah we, we definitely all yeah. have fallen in love with you by that point I think oh well, that's very sweet you're one of only two people to see the video that you saw actually so that's really sweet that you had that reaction to a video oh, like, rather than yeah. being in the room um it's because I've been on tour that I couldn't get to Jordan's show, just so everyone knows. Thank you. Thank you for, for clarifying. <laughs> um, Sorry, you were saying about the, f- the that, fact yeah, that it's always right. gone down well. It, a whole audience has to decide how they feel about the situation. I have a novel combination of bottom and top half for most people. You mm-hmm. don't expect to see that, that particular configuration of protrusions. So a whole audience has to go quick, 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 up and down, eyes up and down, and then they have to decide how they feel. And it's a, it's like a herd mentality. Everybody just flips into, well, we're all sort of having fun. Mm. I don't really have any problem, certainly no problem with it. So let's just keep having fun. Yeah. And there's never a division. There's never, I've never, there's never, there's, if there's gasps, it's silly fun. It's a laughing. I come out laughing also because I come out of a phone box. You think I'm probably going to be dressed like Superman or yeah. something because it's a homage. It's not just the surprise that they're nude. It's that you you expected something else. It's yes. a rug pull. Um, 
it, yeah, it just always has been great. And I think it's the childishness of it. Because if you were a kid, being a kid and taking your clothes off and running around is a pure expression of this is as happy as I can possibly yeah, be right totally. now. You used to do it on Christmas morning all the time. Just get something. Oh, it's Buzz Lightyear. Take off all my clothes, run around with it. And then, oh, I probably should calm down now. Sorry. Sorry, mum. Sorry. <laughs> Put my little like onesie back on. But then, you know, things you get up to when you're 21. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's always been good. Always fun. And it. It's also it's disarming in a nice way that I don't think anyone ever feels like they were taken advantage of in that situation. Now, I wasn't here to see nudity. Well, we say this nudity on the show. Yes. No one's ever like, gosh, that, you know, I would have liked to have known. I think it's just a fun, silly surprise. No, yeah. I agree. And it yeah. totally works. And I'm, yeah. one of my best friends is a comic called Jenny Bede. And she yeah. text, she saw your show on maybe the third or fourth day oh, and wow. immediately texted me and was like, she'll be nominated and get her on out. <laughs> oh, and I was like oh that's, that's nice yeah and it sort of said didn't tell me how it ended but was just like oh it was so powerful and it's so silly and it's so f-. like it's interesting that the the fact that someone is n- not interesting interesting is totally the wrong word and it's really uninteresting word to use but it shows how much the surprise in seeing a body that might not be configurated in a way that you are used to seeing it yeah. the fact that that isn't the first thing that people say about your show yeah. It's testament yeah, yeah. to how great your show is. I am so surprised by the amount of people that come to see the show. They've read every article going, every review, mm. which have all been so sweet that they don't, they maybe allude to it, but they don't really talk about it that much. Still, 5% of the audience maybe knew I was going to get nude. I, I do mm. I do um, data collection. I'll, at a certain point, I'll say, be honest, who knew that this was going to happen when I come out? And you get maybe one person go, woohoo. <laughs> uh, okay, we think you've just outed yourself as a little pervert. <laughs> but a room full of people didn't know that was going to happen. How on earth is that the case after chats mm. like this? Yeah. <laughs> How is people, I mean, this is a different example, and I'm very happy. Like, I should hope by now that it's almost part of the brand that people yes. know that's part of it. But it's really weird that none of the reviews said it explicitly they just mm. say um there was a surprise that we weren't expecting or something like that and i mean that's even better isn't it yes. when it's like just just go see it i've just did air quotes listeners is a um it's such a powerful thing because yes. it's like oh god there's something they're holding something back from me so it's a fear of missing out and a recommendation to go see something that's a powerful piece of marketing that is it's just the best marketing you can it. get yeah just before we finish i saw a gorgeous thing on your instagram i think about your granddad coming oh, to your show yeah. I love him Would so you mind much. telling that story? Yeah, he's a. Uh, it was the night of the 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 flood. I say it like it. Anyone knows what I'm talking about? The flood. There was, the flood. Yeah, my 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 box flooded. The 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 venue. The venue flooded, <laughs> and we went up 20 minutes late. And I thought no one was going to show up. My granddad, not just my granddad, the whole audience that were due to be there funneled in, but my granddad was part of it as well. Did you know he was coming? Um, no, no, no. I saw him outside waiting in the rain just while we were already late and I was like oh god so I quickly said where this is really nice assuming I assume he must have read it in the telegraph or something he's he's like um he's a little thespian he's really sweet but he's not an in your face he's not he's not um a particularly talkative even talkative man he's a yorkshireman and he's just very gruff and like he's sort of an amateur dramatist really sweet and um he he sat through the show and it's I don't mind I knew I was going to get nude and I, I thought this is going to be great for the audience it would be really sweet and there, there'll be an awkwardness but it'll get over it and he just sat like I think gurning is the right word I don't think he'd mind saying it with his little bottom teeth because he's not got top teeth his little oh. bottom teeth sticking out just sort of scowling the whole time and I didn't think he was judging me particularly it's just what his face looks like when he doesn't understand something he, I don't think he understood anything I was saying really for the whole thing and then um, I come out nude and I, I sort of caught the glimpse of his face and then I kept looking away from him joking he's saying oh keep forgetting my granddad's here obviously easy laugh easy laugh and then we closed and I got my little standing ovation I said keep that going for the most important man in the room it's my granddad and he got up he's a, he's a little actor so I bet he probably loved the little getting up bit um, and then he ran over to me like as much as he can run with his stick and he just put his arms around me I'm nude I'm like actually nude cuddled me the whole room the people just put their faces to their eyes I'm like oh this is a mo- I, like, I've got to be in charge of this moment mm. it's still my show I've still got to like, keep going and they just put his stick in the air and it's like she's amazing he has he's just assumed I'm his grandson this whole time he, he, he would have read a review to say like my oh my grandson's doing well I'll go see my grandson and by the end of the show that I didn't think he understood for a single second he was like she's like he was so proud he put his little stick in the air it was like he was the day after somebody come on and said to me uh oh are you that comedian whose granddad came to their show last night <laughs> nothing to do with me it was like they'd heard me say that to someone it was a it was like proper special and I he's he's never done a thing wrong in his life he's like to me he's the sweetest sweetest man so it's not like I would ever have judged him for not knowing what a transgender person was, but that was really powerful. That was mm. that was really lovely. 
bless his little cottons. Bless his cottons. Peter. Socks. Peter is his Shout name. Shout out to Peter. Shout out, Peter. Well done, Peter. Um, right, the, the final question is what we ask absolutely everyone uh, that comes on the show. And you don't need to be thinking about you specifically. I know that some people are like, oh, I wouldn't want to speak to my teenage self because I'd, it would change the course of things. So I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Quite literally. Yes. That, that's a, yes. Yeah, um, okay. But I'm thinking about maybe someone that's having a similar experience to maybe how you felt when you were chopping that wood bare-chested mm. in Sweden yeah. and you were at the beginning of a big journey. If you could reach out to that person and give them a bit of advice or a bit of encouragement, what would you say? Imagine if that was just that. Just, just that. Just... Never put your happiness behind someone else's slight discomfort people can handle being slightly uncomfortable it's good we're supposed to feel slightly uncomfortable if your actual your the happiness at your core is like on the agenda if you want to be happy it's all right if that makes people slightly uncomfortable there's probably a threshold there's probably a point where you know you, you should have a conversation with yourself but your happiness is more important than someone feeling slightly uncomfortable and that includes your, your own family that's probably top of the list because they'll be the first to express a slight discomfort. It's good. It's healthy. Like, yeah, you be that for somebody. Be Make someone slightly uncomfortable because they'll rectify that in their own time. That's not your responsibility. Not the pithiest advice. I've no, no, but perfect. Okay. Um, thank you so much. And I just, I can't wait to see what you do next. I'm so um, pleased for you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a right treat. You're really nice. And I, <laughs> I hope that we'll see each other again soon. I'm sure we will. Oh, wow. I loved that. Please keep across what Jordan's doing. I love, I love her work. I love her. What a great conversation. And thank you for listening. As always, you can get in touch with me. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. I've got three more dates, three more dates on the tour. Where am I going? On the 27th, on Thursday, the 27th of October, I am going to Hull. It's the biggest date of the tour. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's still quite a lot of tickets left. So if you want to come, please buy tickets for you and your extended family. Uh, then we've got the 28th. I'm in Pocklington. I think that one's sold out. There might be one or two tickets left. And then there's a handful of tickets left in East Grinstead on Saturday, the 29th of October. Then the tour will pause until about March, I think. And I'll be back out on the road. You can stay across all I'm doing um, at my at my website, suzyruffle.com. Also sign up to the, the mailing list. That's a good thing to do. I haven't sent out a letter in about three years, but listen, I've just started writing one and there'll be one out by, oh, who knows, maybe the end of the month. Um, I hope that you have a great week, whatever you're doing. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation today and I'll speak to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye.